Welcome to the Customer Experience Management Podcast, hosted by Anders Gustafsson and Carlos Velasco. In this episode, Carlos interviews Viviac, aka at the Dagan Creator on Twitter, about customer experiences in Web 3.0. Welcome everyone to the Customer Experience Management Podcast. Um, we are in Season 3, and today we're going to dive into a topic that is very close to me, Web3, and we have a very special guest. Um, it's a person that has been you know, diving deep into the Web3 marketing, customer experiences, and has some very, very interesting examples. But let me introduce him first. His name is Vivek. He's a Web3 and marketing enthusiast with a passion for disruptive innovation. He has a bachelor's degree in international studies, uh, with an emphasis on East studies, Japanese, and film production from the University of University of Mississippi. And later he completed his master's in journalism with a focus on strategic communications from the University of Missouri. Very interestingly, he will tell us his story in a moment, but he has uh, worked quite a bit in marketing for smart home automation business uh, and Blue River Tech, where he leveraged AI to build multiple different things. Uh, and he has been very keen and has developed a very uh, deep interest in blockchain technology and NFTs, which has led him to purchase around 600 Cardano NFTs during his master's program. He is now the founder of the Dagen Creator on Twitter, where he helps Web3 brands grow their brand through content. He currently leads the marketing for several Web3 brands, including Demo Protocol, Dagen Crypto Club, QR Dano, Super Bowl, and Angel Baby Heat Squad. Vivek is also a marketing uh, consultant and enjoys cooking, movies, traveling, and puzzles in his free time. So welcome, Vivek. It's a pleasure to have you here. You know, I have listened to some of your uh, Twitter spaces and, and, you know, conversations earlier. And I have to say that I'm quite excited to hear how you have been bringing all the knowledge of marketing into Web3, which is kind of like a new thing for, for many people. So welcome, Vivek, to the podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here, Carlos. And... Uh... Yeah, it's Web3 is a really interesting place to be in. Um, as you know, I worked at a few different innovative companies. Actually, I was an intern at those companies. I was in grad school, but a lot of my role was because these were startups. A lot of my roles were like a full time and felt like a full time position. So, yeah, it's it's a really interesting spot to be in, especially given that like in the past two years, um, Web3, crypto, NFTs were super hyped. And now we're at like that getting into that depression stage of like the hype cycle. <laughs> Which I guess is something that is kind of needed to consolidate, right? It's like you have these, I mean, I just think of other parallels, the classic would be like the, 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 the like dot-com companies, you know, in the nineties and stuff like right. that, that you have like this innovation boom, but then you start, have to start pruning kind of thing, you know, the, the, the whole innovation thing. Right. And, and what's really interesting about the dot-com bubble is, and I think this is a great example. Web3 is a great example because it is another iteration of the internet. Um, basically, what happened in between 98 to 2002, where companies skyrocketed in value, even if they were worthless, um, they didn't have any customers if they weren't actually having any type of revenue um, because people saw that there was so immense value in the internet, right? And the same thing happened with Web3. You see all these different crypto skyrocketing. You see all these different NFT collections skyrocketing. Um, left and right, people would launch their own projects and sell out 10,000 NFT, uh, 10, NFTs. 
and either they you know took the money and ran or they they've been developing since their launch two three four years ago and what's really interesting about all of this is i think it's very similar to how the internet um bubble was and i think it's popped here and what you see is a lot of brands that are building right now you actually see their like a lot of their metrics are going up while in terms of like the value of let's say their tokens or the nfts their collection maybe go have been going down over the past year so i think we see similar trends we see increasing you know with in web 2 and, and the internet back then like amazon is a great example um when the the dot-com bubble bursted amazon's metrics were actually increasing they were doing pretty well they're increasing mm. their costs year by year but in terms of their stock value, it kept going down. And it's it's just macro trends, right? Like it wasn't something that Amazon can control. It's all, uh, you know, mob psychology at that point, mob mentality. So I think we're seeing something very similar in the people that have pretty much believed in and thought about Web3 as the future of the internet, as something that is a right for people to own things online. Um, they're still here, here building whether it's going to give them a paycheck or not, because they truly believe in this innovative uh, landscape. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. And, and I, I really like the, the parallel that you're drawing there, because you do see that uh, there's a lot of building, right? And a lot of, you know, like pruning, as, as I like to call it, of the sort of initiatives that are happening. But of course, there are some macro trends that you can just not go against. But whatever you build here, you know, whenever this starts consolidating even more, it's you're going to see what are actually the innovations that will stick in the long run. So, but let, let's start from the very, very beginning. You know, in, in, this, in, in this podcast, we have many kinds listeners some of them might be familiar with web3 some of them might not necessarily be familiar with web3 uh, or have heard about it potentially so what is web3 yeah so i'm going to give like a super simple definition but i challenge everyone listening in do your own research because the beautiful thing about web3 is um you don't need one definition to fit everything. I think um, the way it's designed is supposed to be decentralized, distributed. So people come in for various reasons, right? And I think if you can find that one thing, you're going to be really attached to it. So let, let's actually start from the beginning of just the internet, right? Um, web three is an iteration of web one and web two. So web one was you could really, when, when the internet first came up and people could get on the internet, um, really all you could do on websites was read things and that's web one. There wasn't really any interaction. There wasn't, you couldn't write your own thing on someone else's website. Typically someone built the website, created all the content and put it up there. Um, that's web one. That's when kind of Google came into the picture and Yahoo and they indexed the internet. Um, web two, it happened around 2005, between 2005, 2008, when you see all these social media platforms pop up. So you had like MySpace, Tumblr, then Facebook, Instagram. This is where you could read and write. So you're not just able to read what's on the internet when a, a platform is built, but you could actually put your own content on there, right? So when you talk about Facebook, um, the main reason why it blew up was because they leveraged the network effects. They leveraged the fact that people would want to connect with other people and you're able to create your own content essentially. So with web two, you can read and write. Um, and that's where user generated content exploded, influencer marketing started, 
different uh, ways to do digital marketing really came up aside from just doing ads, you could content marketing became a thing, right? And so all these different facets within even marketing uh, exploded alongside the internet. And then web three is read, write, and own. So what makes this so unique, web three so unique is as opposed to just being able to read the content and create user-generated content, um, you're able to actually own things on the internet. And that's really a hard thing to grasp because what, what does it mean when you own something, right? Um, and I actually created a super simple definition when I was working at Unstoppable Domains. And it, it was like a basic formula, if I can remember it. It's like, you can essentially, you own it if you're able to uh, sell it or you're able to prove that you have it with you in some way. But if you can find that formula, I have to send that over to you. It was like a super simple one. And a good example is ebooks. When you um, download an ebook from on Kindle, right? Like, let's just say you download uh, Sherlock Holmes, a Sherlock Holmes book. You don't actually own that book because if you did own it, that's the definition of it. That's what it is. It's transferable and you're able to sell it, right? Mm. That's, what, that's what it means when you own something in general. And that's applicable on the internet as well. So let's look at this Sherlock Holmes book, right? Um, when you buy it on Kindle, you can't actually, you don't actually legally own the book. You own it on your Kindle. You bought the rights to be able to read it and the license to be able to read it, but you don't have any ability to actually sell it to somebody else. And it's not in, it's not transferable anywhere else. So you can't go from your Kindle to your iPad, right? And mm -hmm. so that means that you don't actually own it. And here's the catch with when you don't read your terms and services, terms of services. Um, if you actually look through a lot of the license agreement, when you buy a ebook, it's, there's explicit rules about you not actually having ownership. Instead, you have the right to read that book. But let's say Amazon decides to take a book off the shelf. Um, that could be gone from your Kindle forever. <laughs> hmm. and that means that you don't own that because you don't have control over something you own, right? Like think of the book on your bookshelf, the book that you have on your bookshelf, you can essentially, you could sell that book if you want. You can transfer it to somebody else to use it. You can rent it out to somebody. These are all things that make it Web3 so unique. It's like, just like with ebook, where on Kindle, you can't really own it because you can't transfer it or sell it or, um, or prove that you own it. In Web3, it's sort of like the real life where there's proof. I think in, in, in compared to real life, it's better um, proof that you have ownership because on, on, in real life, you can write your name down, right? But like, mm. there are tons of people with that name. But on Web3, you have a specific wallet that's yours, right? No one else would have access to that. Or you have a digital identity um, like a did, and you can connect or point your did to, say, uh, your ebook. That is that that is quite interesting, and I guess that also uh, you know leads to this other thing that you mentioned earlier, which is decentralization, right? And is this idea that you know in Web two probably in order to buy the book you have to go through Amazon, right? And Amazon is the one that keeps the rights, you know, keeps kind of like the whole thing. Whereas in Web three, uh, you just remove that middleman, right? Because it's decentralized, and being decentralized that means that you have full ownership and control over the asset. And, and and that also kind of like empowers in a way, you know, uh, people uh, to, you know, like 
not necessarily rely all the time on these central uh, institutions that have their own ways of ruling and you know kind of like uh, working yeah and, and to add on to that right what what is what makes web3 so unique from web2 um when instagram first launched you could see all the followers all the posts from all your followers right but because they had to keep up with market competition like tiktok or um, youtube shorts right they changed the algorithm where they suggest a lot more content as opposed to show your following who you're following right and now if you go to twitter instagram any platform really 10% 20% of your followers are showing your content aside from that um your followers typically won't even see your content unless they're like big fans and so the big problem with that is it's because instagram meta now um that owns it gets to decide the rules for the platform right but in web3 when you are an early contributor early user of the platform you are given incentives to be able to have long-term governance of that platform. So a great example would be, uh, you know, a, a good example would be, let's just use Instagram because I've been talking about that. Let's just say if Instagram, when they first started off, as opposed to it just being a centralized company, they decided to decentralize it, create a pathway to decentralization. It's hard to just start off decentralized, but um, they say, okay, we'll share a, a billion in IG tokens. Right. And what these tokens do, they give you uh, governance over the platform and we release it over X amount of time through these different methods. And what that enables you to do is over time, you get to decide the different rules um, that IG creates. Right. And so now, as opposed to Meta just deciding, OK, this is how the algorithm is going to work and this is how we're going to keep it dynamic. If I own a piece, I can make a proposal to say, hey, I suggest that we enable a feature where people can choose to just look at their following. They don't get suggested anything, right? Now we're actually creating a system where everyone that uses the product is also part um, of not just the experience as a customer, but also as a builder, as someone that has real input into the, the platform which I love because it's a way really to empower uh, people, you know, like it's, it's, I mean, you get to decide the way things unfold. It's not necessarily somebody kind of like putting some guides and, you know, profiting from, from, from some guides, but you can get, you get to decide, you know, how, how is this going to work? What is the role that, I, that, you know, content creators are going to have? What is the role that I'm going to have as, as a consumer of the information there being an active part of the process? This is this is this is very interesting. So let, let's let's move to 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 a question that derives from this. So we're we're talking about Web three and all these kind of like changes that it brings relative to Web two, Web one. Uh, how would you describe Web three marketing? And this is a this is a, a very important question for for many of our listeners because many of them wonder. You know, is like I guess we we see, I guess we can see two kind of kinds of things. Is like the 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 companies that have been. Uh, be, or have been created as native to Web3, but then you also have other kinds of companies, you know, let's say, I don't know, Nike or, uh, you know, Instagram or whatever that are kind of like looking at Web3, you know, and saying, okay, you know, how are we going to involve these in the way in which we connect with our customers? So how, how would you describe Web3 uh, marketing in general? Yeah, so I think Web3 marketing is very interesting. And I want to take a quick step back and actually just define what marketing is, right? If you look up on Google or any textbook definition of marketing, 
is essentially promoting and selling of a product or service, right? I don't think that actually looks at the root of what marketing is. To me, the root of marketing is trust building. I think it's as simple as trust building, right? Whether it's a message, and you can think about the four Ps to keep it simple, right? Product placement, um, what's the other two? Price and position. Promotions, yeah. Promotions, right. Yeah. And, and all four, and all four, you're doing these things so you can build trust, right? If you build, have a price point that is, let's say you're selling Clorox and you're trying to sell Clorox, historically it's been $10, right? But now you decide um, tomorrow you're going to put it at $50 because of um, COVID-19 happening. You're going to lose a lot of, tr I mean, people are going to buy it out of fear, right? But over time, that's going to hurt your brand because now people don't trust you in situations where you would need Clorox, right? Because you just essentially um, miss, had malicious behavior there. And so what's actually marketing, in my opinion, is just trust building. And that applies across every industry, across Web3 marketing as well. I think it's very so much true in Web3 marketing because trust is like the epitome of how you get everyone on board. So what is Web3 marketing? Um, you know, it's community focused, it's incentive based. As of right now, Web3 marketing is very jargony. And then there's very limited uh, amounts of channels for communication. But there's this really great quote by uh, Amanda Cassette in her book, Web3 Marketing. And she says that, you know, there's a powerful alignment that collapses the categories of user or buyer, company or team, and investor into a single group that's aligned and part of a community. And so hmm. essentially like the title of being a customer, being an investor, being a participant on the platform all collapses into one word and that's being a community member. And it's really interesting because in Web2, you were audience building, right? Um, the whole Jeff Bezos, right? Be customer obsessed. Um, I think we're switching to being just customer obsessed to being community obsessed. Because if you really think about it, we spend 50% of our time online, 50 plus percent of our time online now. And with that, there are things that we just cannot tangibly get on the internet with the current state of the internet, right? You can't own things online. It's harder to uh, connect with people online than ever. There's no, like, yeah, you can play video games and stuff. That's one great example. But what about outside of games, right? Not everybody plays games. And so collect the like digital collectibles, membership passes online, metaverses being built, all these are part of kind of how um, you can enable people to feel as they're part of a community. And I think that's what the root is, is it's trust building with a community. Um, and that's what makes Web3 marketing very unique and different from, I think, most forms of marketing. That is a super interesting way of looking at it. And I have to say that I didn't think uh, about that, but like this kind of like collapse of different stakeholders of the traditional kind of like business world into into community members. Uh, and it's brilliant because, you know, like as as as, as you become part of a project, you know, or, or, a, or a company or an initiative in Web3, you are actually all of them. You know, you are the investor, you are the consumer, you are the the content creator, you are all these different things. And I guess that also redefines the way in which we 
target uh, in a way, right? Which is, is the next question that I want to ask you. Who is the Web3 consumer? And, and this question has kind of like a, a reflection in the background, which I've been seeing, and, and you, you touched a little bit on it when you say like, it's still very jargonish and stuff like that. Is It seems to me that there is still a bit of a barrier of entry, you know, uh, uh, just knowing many people. I mean, we're typically geeks in a way, you know, that we just read everything, just go and absorb everything. We like technology. We like lots of different things. But when I try to explain to the the, the general consumer, let's say, some of them still kind of like cannot grasp it, you know, and, and when you go and tell them, hey, you have to create a digital wallet, you have to, you know, <laughs> know all these platforms where you do transactions, you know, and kind of like, no, even the basics, you know, it's it's still, it's, it gets a little bit like uh, tricky for some of them. So, so, so who is this Web3 consumer? Uh, and what can you say about these barriers of entry for the rest of the world, let's say? Yeah, so I, I always refrain from saying like Web3 consumer or something like that, right? It's essentially you're just saying it's the internet, like what's the internet consumer, right? And that's anybody that's on the internet. And in the same Got sense, Web3 is the same thing, right? I mean, for sure in the in, in two, five, 10 years ago, um, the Web3 consumer was tech savvy individuals, really developers, right? And in the past five uh, past five years, we've seen significant developments in UX UI experience, um, and how these websites are built. Using being able to connect your wallet, um, being able to use different websites with your wallet to carry over your information. But when it comes to who the Web three consumer is, it's essentially anybody that is on the internet. And as of right now, that demographic is people that are a little bit more tech savvy, a little bit leaning forward more, and I'd say are financially motivated. Um, mm. That's something that is missed out on a lot when we talk about Web3 consumers is a, a, a vast majority right now are people that know about the space enough to know that they can profit off of it. And because that's the case, a lot of times, and I'm no different, I came into the space because I saw that NFTs was a way that I could gain financial independence uh, you know, gain some fi financial profits out of it, right? And because of that, I came into the picture and very quickly I learned, oh, wow, like this is more than just making money. There's like this crazy technology that's revolutionizing not only how you own something, but how you own something on the internet and it makes it to where you can carry it across. So, I mean, the money brings people, I think, the... The actual community, the technology, the developers, the um, ethos of this space is what keeps a lot of people. And so, I mean, in terms of Web3 consumer right now, that's what I would say. It's like financially motivated, uh, you know, forward thinking, a little bit more tech savvy individuals. But in, in as a whole, it's just Internet people. If you look at Reddit, right, they onboarded um, three million wallets within like three days and they did not use any jargon they didn't use any like technical terms or anything right like there was no such thing as a wallet there was no such thing as an nft on their website um they what they did is they created you created a vault and in that vault you're able to put your digital collectible out uh, uh digital collectible avatars and you're able to just buy as many as you want and they i think ended up doing like not three million sorry not three million wallets but it was like insane amount of wallets and they did three millions in sales um within three days so they onboarded tons of people really quickly and reddit a lot of the reddit user base was against nfts so that goes to show oh. that like they did a really good job in terms of 
creating an ultimately great customer experience. This you can say like some people said that's like tricking people, but it's like it's the same thing with Facebook, right? Facebook doesn't go around and say, "Look, this is Web two. Look, mm. this is the ability to create, and you'll be able to log into everything." But you don't need to know that yet. It's just how a business operates, right? You have to figure out ways that. I mean, what did Henry Ford said? If you ask the people what they want, right, they will say a faster horse or a faster car, right? And in the same sense, the building on top of the internet does not mean faster internet speeds, um, more tools that people can use, but they can't have ownership over them. Yeah, no, that makes uh, makes absolute sense. Uh, there, there are so many things to unpack from what you just said that I, I, I really, really like. Uh, let me start by... But the, the 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 last thing that you said, which is interfaces, I think you know, and and I think there there is uh, this is a thing that happens across technologies. You know, you have a technology and you have the the tech savvies that you say, you know, that they just learn everything, they know all the jargon and stuff like that. But sometimes that's not enough, you know, to bring people in and capitalize on the technology. You actually need an interface, and and I really like some some initiatives. I cannot think of of the the exact examples now, but I saw in in the last few weeks, people that were like, you know, now we're creating music on Cardano, let's say, or or Ethereum. But when you you go and pay, you actually are not necessary. You don't need to have even a wallet, you know, uh, uh, or or maybe maybe you don't need to have a wallet like consciously but they create an interface where you can pay in dollars in ethereum in ada in whatever kind of thing and then you own the thing but the interface makes it so easy that you don't have to think about all the jargon so would you agree with me that maybe one of the evolutions let's say that we will see in the future is like this interface design you know things that make things easier to navigate for people that do not necessarily want or have the time to learn all the kind of like tech, tech technical aspects of it yeah, 100%. So when web crypto started, right, the around Bitcoin, um, Buterin and a couple of people were like, well, we need to use this technology to create a new internet, right, essentially. And with the development of that, they didn't really care about, okay, is this a great experience or not? They cared about, let's actually create the infrastructure that's going to hold trillions of dollars in the future, not just in terms of like, traditional finance, but across every industry. And because of that, interfaces suck across most blockchains. I mean, I, I say Solana might be the only um, blockchain that has relatively good UI, UX, but interface does play a big part of getting people to get onto Web3, uh, to use products in Web3. And one of the biggest barriers to entry is setting up a digital wallet. Hmm. So... The problem with the digital wallet is you, so here's the good side, right? The good side of a digital wallet is the fact that it is very secure. You own everything. Nobody else um, can access your wallet, right? The downside to that is you forget your password, you forget your uh, recovery seed phrase, it's gone. And people have lost millions, if not billions of dollars mm. with this. Um, there's an infamous story of this guy who had like a billion dollars worth of uh Bitcoin on a drive and he threw it out and he went through a landfill search for it. And that just goes to show the downside. The thing is people don't care. Like most people in the world don't care about being that secure. They just care about something that's going to be easy. That's going to make their life better in some way, or it's going to be entertaining in some way. And so when we talk about digital wallets, yes, as good as a developer, right? And the, it, it stays true to the ethos of decentralized, 
You want to be as secure as possible. You don't want to give the bad, big bad actors um, as much power. But on the other hand, you have to think, do people actually care? I mean, if you actually look at a lot of polls, most people, like most people, especially the younger generations, don't actually care if their data is being used by companies because they enjoy the experiences that they have. And so what's the compromise here? It's, well, don't get people to set up a complicated wallet Get them to set like get them to buy something and you set up a wallet for them like reddit did then you can take them through a pipeline an educational program and if they really are interested they can move that asset to their own digital wallet after maybe a week of them learning or a month of them learning about the space and understanding the significance but if you just try and say like blow up somebody's world within a day that doesn't happen they're gonna have i mean they either have an existential crisis or just say what the heck like, yeah, yeah makes, makes absolute sense. Um, you mentioned another thing that I found quite intriguing, which is this idea that, you know, like uh, you and, and I guess many other people, most people probably, uh, kind of like get to Web3 with the idea of a financial profit, you know, and, and this is something that I actually studied with, with some colleagues. I'm going to record the podcast uh, with them at some point later on, which is about the, the NFT uh, journey or the NFT customer journey. And we, we actually found exactly what you just said, you know, is like at the pre purchase stage of the NFT journey, one of the highest kind of like elements that drives that the, the people buy an NFT project is financial value, you know, is the potential of utility for some sort of financial utility. But what we found that was quite interesting is that once you buy the NFT, uh, and we talked about this uh, earlier in a Twitter space, uh, you, you find that, uh, you know, people start switching a little bit more to social value that they derive from the project, emotional value that they derive from the project, functional value that they derive from the project. And I guess this all points in one way or another to the community aspect that you were mentioning uh, earlier in, in, in our conversation. So my question here is, you know, like we, we can see some parallels between uh, traditional marketing and web three marketing. Um, and one of those parallels is, you know, like the kinds of values that people can derive are still the same. Maybe they vary differently, you know, across the journey, but still people derive some social value, emotional value, functional value, monetary value. But what what is similar and what is different between, let's say, when I call traditional marketing, let's say everything else marketing and web three marketing? Yeah, so it's definitely a couple of things. Um, so I'll go back to the trust building and what is marketing, and I'll start from there. So the, the root of all of it is trust building, in my opinion, um, whether it's messaging, right, whether you're at the top of the funnel and you're just trying to build awareness, right, you're trying, your goal is to build enough trust where they make the purchase, right? That's what the whole funnel is about. When we talk about the marketing funnel, the ad funnel, whatever ADA model, all those things, the goal is to take, make them trust you enough to take an action. And that's no different in Web3 as well. Like that is still the same. And um, I don't think in terms of marketing that will ever change. It's like, you have to build trust. Even with exper experiential marketing, right? You're trying to get enough attention where, I mean, sure it starts off as curiosity, but you're trying to build enough trust to for them to take some type of action. So. Um, I think that's the root, but what actually makes any other form of marketing different from Web3, I would say it's, aside from the community side, it's really incentives. When you start building a marketing plan in Web3, the first thing you have to think about and strategize are incentives. So what, 
what are the financial benefits that uh, a person that holds your token or holds your NFT get? What are the non-financials? Now, for the financials, you don't ever have to say that out loud because you can get into a lot of legal trouble, right? Until you mm -hmm. figure it out, until you actually have enough, uh, you know, money to be able to hire a lawyer to figure out the more nuanced detail of it. But you know, you don't actually tell people like this uh, NFT is going to get you financial gains. You can get in a lot of trouble legally, but you can figure out ways. Okay, how can we incentivize people in a way that's going to help them? Um, financially in some way, but also what are some emotional, social things that you can do that get people hyped up, right? And so what's interesting about it is it's kind of like being in a, or a club, like a college club or a high school club, right? Like I did speech and debate in high school and that was a big part of who I am even today and who I was back then in high school and shit, the direction of how I wanted to do things. And when you think about community and how marketing works in Web3, um, it's not as much like leveraging, let's say, ads. Um, because five years ago, you couldn't create any ads related to crypto or NFTs because it was banned off of all social media platforms, really, except I think maybe Twitter, but even they may have had it banned. Um, so most what people found were like the most powerful things to use in Web3 were first was Twitter, Twitter, Twitter Discord, Telegram their own website those are like four different channels that they can use um, and that's going to attract the people that are already interested within web3 because it's a lot harder and as we talked about there's a lot more friction to get onboard new people you have to have a lot of capital you have to have strong infrastructure you have to make it easy and that's not easy to do with the current um, tools or you know five years ago it wasn't so once you figure out those channels, you also have to figure out, okay, what incentive, you know, what incentives do I need to create? And these incentives, like for example, um, let's talk about Cherubim, Angel Baby Hit Squad, where I'm working with Fettuccini and we're essentially building a luxury brand. We're also launching tech, new tech innovations. We actually recently launched Genesis, which allows you to turn ETH into ADA without a centralized exchange. And uh, it's a lot more accessible and it's really focused on ETH to ADA exchange. Um, but it's like, we're doing multiple things with that. Like we thought about, okay, when we launched this product, we have a community already. How do we actually, what incentives can we give them not to maybe use it, but to market it? Or how, what incentives can we give them to talk about this, right? And so one thing that we're doing is we have a blessed token that is a utility token essentially. And what happens is people are able to take all the profits from this product that we've created will go into the blessed liquidity pool. So if you hold bless and there's the only way you can earn bless is if you have angel babies or from our uh, NFT collection or demon hit squad. And if you own those, you're able to actually generate an X amount of bless over time and, and collect those. Um, and we're going to, instead of, cause you can't profit share legally or anything like that. It, it, really finicky in terms of legal regulation in the US, we're going to be putting um, liquidity in the liquidity pool for less token. So all the profits go to that liquidity pool. And that means that there's more that the the pool for bless is more liquid. So people are able to buy and sell into this. And this means that for example, over the next five, 10 years, we have something that's gonna not only sustain the NFT project we, we're building, but it's also gonna sustain the, the ecosystem we're trying to build, right? And this is like the first step zone.
And uh, these are like the incentives you have to think about is like, how do you do this? And this is not just financial, right? Like in terms of socially, community-wise, we're building a community that's focused on, um, you know, entrepreneurship. How do we get entrepreneurs into Web3, right? How do we get them excited about it? How do we help them with their businesses? But most importantly, how do we bring together community of creators, builders, entrepreneurs, developers, so that they all want to help not just Web3, but like business people that are doing business across the board. So these are like different incentives you can create, but you have to really think about from the beginning of your marketing strategy, you know, what are you trying to do? And I mean, to take it completely a step back further, right? I told you that the, the root of marketing is trust building. Well, you have to, you know, the, the basics of marketing is know your uh, audience, know your product, right? You have to start there really to be able to start marketing. And so with that, like, yeah, I think that's what the big difference between Web3 is. It's just like it's community-focused, they're incentives, um, but you still have this basic, you know, marketing principles that exist across the board. That makes absolute sense. So in a, in a way, what you're saying is, you know, the foundations are the same. You know, you need to know your target audience. You need to know your competitors. You need to know what's your value proposition and, and so on. Yet the context, you know, offers some sort of like new new things, you know, such as these incentives that are decentralized, you know, and, and or this decentralization aspect, the community, and based on that, uh, you you can you know like use your foundations and these new context to capitalize and develop a strategy. So. Uh, right. Yeah, that, that sounds uh, very, very interesting. And, and, you know, I think this is something that is a, a broader debate, in, in, at least in the academic marketing, which is, you know, we have all these new technologies. We have blockchain, we have uh, AI, we have the Internet of Things and many other things. And, 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 and the debate is to what extent traditional marketing models actually apply, you know, to these new contexts. And the answer, broadly speaking, is they still pretty much apply. You know, the foundations are the same and, and probably they won't change so much. Yet these new technologies offer a new context, new touch points, new sort of like ways to connect with that audience. And therefore uh, you can create your strategy in a combination of both. And, and within Web3, right? Like what people don't realize, and I think what sets apart people that do well from like doing great is the fact that they have a strong understanding of not just basic marketing, um, basics of marketing, but also community building because um, what a lot of people don't realize is within web free marketing, community building plays a big role in how you actually grow, right? Um, when you are in the startup world in web two, your goal is to find your first customer, then your first 10. Then you under you try and understand and survey, okay, what was your experience? How can we improve? Figure out where the flaws are within your product and improve from there and really try to get at the crux of what people's pain points are. In web three, it's the same thing. However, you can start re like you, I mean you've been in the space just as I'm sure long as me um you can tell when there's a product or service that's out there and it's kind of just there they have no real direction versus one that has a clear plan um they consistently deliver towards a specific goal and it it's alleviating one pain point right each of their products is alleviating one pain point so really it, all of this still goes back to the basics and principles of marketing it's just they're the tool, like you said, the tools that exist, the technology that exists is more it's changing and evolving to show you a different set of data. Hmm. And a different way to interact as well. 
Yeah, and I guess that's that's another point that you know, like uh, I would like to touch on, uh, which is the data that derives from this. Uh, and I know that you have some quite interesting things to say there. But before we continue, I think this is a good moment to tell the listeners of the podcast how they can connect with you. So, what would be a good way to connect with you? I know that you have like a very strong Twitter account, you know, and 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 what what other means? Yeah, just I mean, I usually just communicate through my Twitter at the degen creator t-h-e-d-e-g-e-n-c-r-e-a-t-o-r that's my personal brand i started like four months ago <laughs> and uh, it's picked up just from like what i do and really that or the degen creator at gmail.com you can email me I'm, I'm always happy to um respond but if you if you hit me up on Twitter, I'm more likely to respond quicker. <laughs> That's great. So I will take those that, that information and I'll put it in the description of the, the podcast. So anyone, just go and click there, go and follow him. And if you have any questions, I'm sure he will be happy to answer and, and get this discussion, which, which I guess, you know, it's also interesting because coming from the academic world, I see that there is a lot of, of course, interest in researching and, and, and understanding better what can be done. But one of the interesting things about the, 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 the like this space, broadly speaking, is that we don't know many things, right? And, and things are being created as we go. Uh, and therefore, you know, people like you that are at the forefront of really trying to figure out, you know, what is good marketing, good customer experiences in the context of Web3. I mean, you're the ones that are kind of like, you know, knowing uh, the, the the perks and all the different things that are part of, of, of this, this context. Um, so let's let's you know we have been talking a, a bit of uh, the the conceptual background of of blockchain uh, of web3 marketing and, and and the sort of things that can be done and everything let's try to put this a little bit more concrete i mean you already gave an example with a project but let's try to be even a bit more concrete so can you tell us maybe a bit about one of the projects that you've been working on maybe perhaps one that you are exciting about and how has been that process of you know doing marketing and creating customer experiences with them yeah, so I just thought of something that I completely missed in the web to marketing, and I think that's going to give a great example of what I've been working on thinking about. So what makes web three marketing very unique, right? I, I said all these conceptual things like incentives, channels of communication, um, a community focused, but what's really important and to understand about web three marketing is that you really are pushing a flywheel of growth, right? At first, you're pushing the flywheel of growth. And a lot of startups in the tech industry, that's what their goal is, is to start this flywheel of growth. And they have to figure out what is going to cause that engine to start for them to push it easier. Within Web3, we don't really need an engine because we have the community. So after a certain point, um, we push it for a little bit. And if we did, we create the correct incentives, we align the community with our vision, we are driving the values, we're are attracting community members that relate, resonate, and align with our values. We're going to build a rock star community. And the those community members are going to be incentivized to do the marketing, do the developing, do the creations themselves. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. each each different type of product or different, let's say, uh type of um, tech within Web3, right, um, has a different way to market. But I would say the one thing is you have to build the community. You have to get them diehard fans to the point where they are marketing for you and creating content around you. Um, so a great example is I'm working with DMU Protocol right now, which stands for Decentralized Music. And we're building a protocol layer for music. 
And what that essentially is, is we're solving the root problem in the music industry where um, there's a lot of struggle with music licensing and the auto distribution of royalty payments, right? And with DMU, we, what the team realized was um, with the founder, Session Cruz, um, did 20 years in the rap game, toured the US, started his own influencer marketing agency, worked with Drake, Kim K, Kanye, right? Um, lots of established figures, knows a lot of established people, execs, musicians, legacy artists in the music industry. He realized like with Spotify growing, um, there's a lot of data that comes with it, but they aren't able to actually maintain and keep up with that data, right? So when you stream on Spotify, they keep that data. When you when your song is played on TikTok, that's a whole set of different data. When your song is on IG Reels, that's a whole other set of data of your music. And it's all fragmented everywhere. And that's really hard as an artist to keep up with your fans, to engage with your fans. You have to do it across all these different platforms. And whenever your, you know, your music is played on IG or TikTok or Spotify, these are different ways, like there's so many different ways to get paid, but it's all fragmented because everyone has these walled gardens, meaning that their infrastructure is closed off to their own um, users. And that's really actually destructive in the long term, in my opinion, because that means you have to keep growing to a point where you can't handle things, um, handle all that data. And, and that's where all these, um, that's where the problem is with music. There's no place where you can actually handle all this growing data and keep track of it and align with it and be able to reward or incentivize or even like pay artists. And so with DMU, um, what we're focused on right now is actually launching our first DAP, which is called the Jukebox. And what it is, is to show you essentially how something on the protocol works, right? So like the internet is a protocol. You um, can't really see what the internet does unless there's something built on it, like Amazon, Facebook. And so in the same sense, we're doing that. So how are we thinking about this in terms of marketing, right? Well, first, if we want to market to, let's say, app developers, artists, record labels, we have to show something conceptually that works, right? We have to have some testing in the market to show that, okay, this works. What are we actually testing? Well, right now, our goal is to revive the album sales, right? This kind of changed during the Spotify era because... Um, Essentially, people are streaming music. People aren't really buying albums off of Apple Music or Spotify anymore. They're just consuming it by buying a subscription. The problem is that hurts a lot of artists and record labels because you don't have that direct fan artist engagement that you could potentially have on the internet because you have these middlemen like TikTok and uh, Twitter. And if you look at, like, for example, Vine, where all these influencers came up and grinded to get all this big following and artists that grinded to get this big following they lost it all in instance because twitter bought it and decided that like it wasn't going to be profitable they couldn't figure out a way to make it profitable so with what we're doing with dmu how we actually think about marketing is okay let's launch a product uh, let's launch a dap with a product and so we're launching digital a digital album as a token and it's a ten thousand collection of public domains work of classical music and what that does is we're actually showing different incentives you can do. And we have incentives aligned within that album. So when you listen to the album, after five plays, you get one DMU token. After uh, 25 plays, you get three DMU tokens. And that number goes up until you get to the level five. The five levels, I think the fifth level is 250 listens. 
and you get 64 DB tokens. So in, in total, you get 100 DB tokens for listening up to 250 times. So all these songs in the album. Now you kind of see like people are listening. This is a very big incentive. Um, you get a token, which that token will be used to govern the DMU ecosystem in the future, the DMU protocol in the future. So now like you have an incentive to be able to um, listen, right? To want to listen to this music, but also it's a demonstration to artists and uh, record labels. Like, okay, people actually want to buy this, right? People will spend $20 on an album because they know that there's going to be some benefit that comes down the line, right? So think about vinyls. People still buy those, right? Um, the difference is people buy that as a collectible, but there's no benefit outside of the listening. We're actually adding extra layers to it to where artists, we can track the data of how many listens that happen through our um, jukebox. We can also understand how many wallets hold the NFTs. We can even learn for those wallets that hold our NFTs, what are other products that they're holding? What are other NFTs that they're holding from other projects, from other brands? What are other tokens that they're uh, holding? And you can get it start start understanding their likes and dislikes in a more dynamic way. Whereas Google, they Google and Facebook and Amazon, they track what you like and dislike based on kind of a few likes, which is so static in my opinion. Um, so we have to start thinking even in terms of data, right? Like, okay, we have to track listens. We need to track how much we've earned. We need to track um, how much people are actually talking about the content right actually talking about these albums and what we've created and then we can take all that data and share that with artists um and record labels to say look look like look at the numbers like we made this much we generated this much we um were able to get x amount of people to listen this amount of times we um figured out like we have a community of people that are now big fans of dmu and people like to hear that. Like we've talked to a bunch of legacy artists already and they're very interested in what we're doing. However, people, we have to start by showing what's actually possible. So that's one example is like, in terms of incentives, right? Like the play to earn, listen to earn. As you listen to the music, you earn these DMU tokens and then down the line, you're able to use it to govern the, the ecosystem as a whole. And there are other use cases like for the album, for example, as we have more businesses being built on top of DMU, we're going to use this as a guinea, guinea pig to show, okay, here's how you can integrate it to this new business and how it's going to help you do X, Y, and Z. That is everything that you said is fascinating, in my opinion. I, I think it's it's quite quite nice the way in which you know you are combining. Uh, like you know traditional data you get from channels that are still web 2 and non-traditional data is just fully web 3 you know and what you just said you can access the wallet you can access uh, what other nft projects people own this the way that they interact in a dynamic way and so on and and this gives you like a, another perspective and a, perhaps a more direct you know perspective of of the people that you're interacting with i can just talk from my own experience uh, being an author, like a book author in, in, in Web3, it is fantastic, you know, because it's like first I connected directly with all my, my readers and I just found that the, the, the book that I, you know, published in, in, in Web3 uh, became like a like a like gateway to interact in multiple different ways with the, the the people that own it, you know, and and it's what you just said is it's not only the the sort of incentive structure that you have strategically planned for the marketing of this project, but it's like now having these different elements in the strategy and the tokens, you can actually use that as a means to continue creating constantly different ways of interacting with that target audience. 
and I have one, I have like three of your books. Uh, like oh, I bought yeah. three your construction is reality. Um, really great, by the way. But also, you know, something that I'm sure you realize as well is like the collectability aspect is just as important. So, you know, going back to incentives again, right? When you have these different, like people wonder like why do these NFT pro have profile pictures or like these different images across the board? Why is it not the same? Well, that's where the emotional social aspect comes in. You get bragging rights for buying and getting lucky and getting a high rate or high rarity, you know, image. And the same thing, that's how we're also thinking about releasing the limited edition album covers is like it's 10K. Um, we've actually partnered with five different um, NFT projects. We partnered with Future Fest, uh, Angel Baby Hit Squad. Uh, what else? Oski. Oski, <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah, Ugly Bros. And then DJ and Crypto Club. And what we've done is we have like 19 different album covers that you could potentially uh, get. And out of those 19, um, there's like one with 100. So that's the rarest. But then on top of that, we've allocated 420 of those across the four, um, pro five projects we're working with. And so they created their own um, PFP or like their own like, you know, NFT PFP that you can actually put on there for this specific launch. And like, for example, Cherubim, there's only seven of them in the whole collection. So it makes it really the, the rarest out of the whole collection. And the gold, the one with the gold and I think it's gold and black or gold and silver um, cover base that has Cherubim, that's considered the rarest in the whole collection. So because we understand that people want the collectability aspect just as much as the financial gain, just as much as you know being part of the community, creating these different um, incentives that aren't just financial but also emotional is important, right? Like when someone pulls a future fest or a Hosky, right? We created two hundred. They're like four different Hosky PFPs with like essentially it's an image of a, a Hosky, right, with a wig or a violin or something like that. And that's the same thing with Future Fest. It has like a, it's a gold bot with a violin, kind of plays into the classical theme. But it's like people are, are interested in, if they're already part of those communities, they're more than likely wanting to pull something like that, right? So we're, we're trying to tap in and think about, okay, and that's, like I said, when I start with the marketing plan, when any Web3 marketer starts, they should really think about what are the incentives that we can create, right? That's another tangible one. That is, yeah, that is great, and and I think you know this is what what we we like to call the like digital scarcity aspect of it. You know, it's like not not everything is equally available, and that creates the collectability aspect. And it, that to me that opens up so many possibilities because it's this idea that you can collect, but at the same time, you know, you can segment in a way the people that are part of the project, right? So if it's the rarest, you know, I mean, typically for the rarest uh, NFTs, let's say of a collection, people would pay a little bit more, you know, or or maybe that could have a function. I can think of the Ape Society. We had them in this podcast at some point and, and they have like this structure where, you know, there are some rarest kings, you know, within the, the social structure of the Ape Society. And of course they have different benefits. They have different sort of like ways of interacting with the community. So it really opens up a bunch of uh, new interactions as well. Uh, Vivek, I, we're running out of time and I don't want to, to get your time because I know that you're busy, but if you allow me to ask you the last two questions, the first one is, so we broadly speaking up until this point have been talking about the, the, the sort of like companies that 
have been created in the context of Web3, right? So we have these projects, you know, the NFT collections that stand for something that are going towards something that are developing certain technologies. But I see perhaps a fussier kind of like aspect to Web3 marketing, which is companies like traditional companies that are trying to get into <laughs> You know, like you, you see examples of, I think, Prada, Gucci, and uh, McDonald's created an NFT collection. But to me, it seems very experimental at this stage. But what 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 can they do? You know, like these, these companies that are not necessarily native to this context, when they come to Web3, what, what are their possibilities there? Or what, what would you say? Yeah, so first I want to say that these brands that are in, that are trying to come into Web3, I would say historically. Historically, they've always been forward-thinking, right? Even these luxury brands like Prada, Louis Vuitton, um, Dior, they, they have been able to stand the test of time as a brand because they've always been forward-thinking in how they market, how they create products, and how they are targeting the audience that they want. And so there has been, in the past two years, there's been a huge influx in Fortune 500 companies that have come into Web3. And I mean, I think the most notable ones would be Starbucks, Reddit, and uh, Nike. Um, and those are just three I'm saying off the top of my head because I'm actually writing a Twitter thread on them and how they're doing exceptional marketing around it. But there also have been, on the other hand, terrible you know, marketing from traditional brands as well. And so a good example was, I think, Porsche. Porsche did a terrible job of launching their NFT collection. And it, it just show, goes to show that like you can't just come in as a big brand and expect to sell out or expect people to love your product because you, st again, it's new, but it doesn't mean people are stupid. It doesn't mean that people uh, don't need to be primed. They don't need to be, you know, you still need to build trust with them. Even if you're a Fortune 500 company, one of the oldest luxury brands or one of the, you know, you have one of the best luxury cars in the world. And so let, let, I think Nike is a great example of being the most web two traditional, I mean, they started off before the internet as well, right? Like around the time where they were, um, Phil Knights was just selling out of the back of a car. <laughs> and what they've done is they've always taken very innovative approaches, right? So when um, they saw basketball growing popularity, they wanted Michael Jordan on, on, on right? He, they created Jordan and they signed a deal with him and they knew that was big money for them. That's when they first expanded outside of track and field. Um, and then the internet came and they created websites and they created these uh, interesting, unique tags that you can have and customize your shoes. Now they're coming into Web3 by launching their own NFT collection. They've actually bought, uh, bought out um, a Web3 company that designs collectibles and stuff. And so they're trying to build a virtual experience. Um, and that's a very extreme. And I think Nike is like going full force into it because they realize that this is another touch point that they can have with their customers and it's a more interactive touch point but they can also grow with their community so one thing that they're doing is they created like dot swoosh which is like an nft domain um and essentially it's going to be where you can interact in their digital experiences that they're creating um within that whole world though they're trying to create these community-based events where people can design nike products and the best ones are going to actually be sold with some of them, the community members that have created it, getting some of the profits from that. So you can kind of see that Nike is doing a really excellent job, at least in the planning and execution so far, of getting into Web3 in a way that doesn't seem like they're just there for money. Because, it, it I mean, two years ago, 
anybody could launch a product on or launch an NFT collection or a token in on Web3 if you're a, a old school company and you'd probably make money off of it because people are just like fascinated by the fact that any company is, you know, that's established coming here. So yeah, that's, I, I mean, that's where I kind of think is Nike is a great example. Reddit, like I talked about, I, I would, if anybody's interested in Web3 marketing and how to do it right, and especially customer experience, Reddit is a great example of they were able to think through how do we take away the friction of Web3, but give the experience of Reddit. And they did that so exceptionally well because you never felt like you were buying or minting, right? Like these are technical terms. You didn't feel like you were minting. You never felt like you were setting up a wallet. You didn't feel like you were buying an NFT. And that's a customer experience we should be seeing across the board. The way Nike's doing it is they know, they're intentionally targeting Web3 audiences and they're creating their own products that's going to onboard their current customer base outside of Web3. So I'd say like those are some things that you can really think of and look at um, in terms of a Web2 brand coming in to Web3 is like their marketing has to be the same. They still have to think of how do we leverage community? How do we create incentives? What are we building that's going to get the community to create content around us and become evangelist of us? Um, the beautiful thing about Web3 is you build a community and they become the word of mouth marketing. <laughs> and sometimes, as, as you said, in, in another space that I heard uh, in, in which you were talking is like uh, they become sort of like the ambassadors of the brand, right? So in the end, it, as, as this is a typically are, these are community driven projects. That means that anything that the community builds is going to become the same marketing of the, the the project itself, right? So you want actually people to succeed in that in that endeavor because that's going to be kind of like profitable, not only in terms of money, you know, but in terms of community growth and and everything else uh, for them. I just want to highlight three words and, and correct me or tell me if you would say another one, but community incentives and interface. And these three things kind of like are powerful elements for Web3 marketing. Yeah, I think those are the top. I mean, as of right now, I can't think of any better better one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, that is great. And and in that sense, you know, like I mean, I guess these these three are the 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 ones that will be part of of the last question that I have for you. But the, the last question that I wanted to bring, and I'm going to ask it anyway, in case you have anything else to say, is we typically ask our guests in this podcast to provide some you know, uh, general recommendations for practice. Uh, we have okay. students, you know, we have people in industry, we have uh, academics. And, and and my question for you would be, what would you recommend our listeners uh, that are uh, that are dealing or that we are thinking of dealing with customer experiences in Web3? That's a good question. I have, I have maybe three. First, travel. <laughs> um, it's really underrated. So I didn't come from a traditional marketing background. I did strategic. I did a journalism degree with strategic communication. Um, I didn't ever have like a former marketing training at all. What really helped me was the fact that I traveled. I went. I lived in Japan for a little bit. I traveled to South America. Um, I mean, I've been living out of two backpacks for the past five months. <laughs> so um, I've just been traveling for four or five months, and. It's taught me a lot of things like when you travel, I mean, let me take a step further, not just travel, but interact with people you would normally never interact with, right? So if you can't travel, I understand that. Um, I have no ties anywhere financially or legally. So I'm able to kind of go around. If you can't, I mean, go out somewhere without a phone, 
or just don't look at your phone and go somewhere to a bar or a bookstore, wherever, where you can meet people and talk to them and just talk to them. Don't try to understand, like, don't try and solve a problem. Don't try and figure out, you know, what does everybody need to, you know, how do we onboard next people in Web3? Just talk to them and understand like who they are, what do they do, what are their interests and get to know them as a person. What that does is you start to understand how to build empathy for people, right? And it's really hard to build empathy when you do digital marketing because everything is text or video with without people that you don't know, right? Like even right now, we're talking through a computer screen. That's pretty much 12 or 12 hours of my day is like talking to people through a computer screen. Um, but if you can do that in person, right, you can then start to figure out how do I do that online? Because marketing essentially, I mean, like I said, it's trust building. How do you actually build trust? You have to be empathetic. You have to understand pain points. You have to understand how to communicate with people. So I would say the first recommendation is travel or really push yourself out of your comfort zone and go speak to people you normally wouldn't. Um, and alcohol can help with that, right? If you need a little lubrication, social lubrication. Uh, second is learn a language. So I know these may not be like what people it would expect in terms of a resource, but I, I've, I know how to speak like three different languages um, aside from English or two different languages aside from English. And because of that, I learned Japanese all throughout undergrad and lived in Japan. And you're not going to be able to know every single word, right? Like there's never going to be a perfect marketing plan. Language is very much adapts a lot. It's dynamic and marketing is the same way. And I think that's played a huge influence in me learning Japan, how I've learned it, talking to people in Japanese has taught me a lot about marketing I never thought about. And that's, it's the fact, or before I, you know, before I was even thinking about marketing, which is like, you need to be able to simplify messages for people that don't understand you. Like, you know yourself very, very well, right? When you are marketing a product, you should know that product as if you invented it yourself. And when you learn a language, you know yourself the best. You are the product. You are the invention. But to communicate that, communicate your ambitions, your interests, your hobbies, um, characteristics, your personality, you probably don't know. Like, I didn't know Japanese to the level where I could talk about philosophical stuff. I mean, I got to get, get to a point where I could speak about political things. But it, like even now, it's like reversed. Right? Like, I'm at the point where I'm probably like at fifth grade level Japanese or sixth grade level Japanese. And that's the thing is you want to be able to, like, I don't like using the word dumb down, but simplify things to a point where people understand you. And when I speak Japanese, I mean, even Gujarati, which is what my mother tongue is, my mom's language is, there's some words I just don't know. So I just circumnavigate it and figure out another word that's going to work that's simpler. Um, so that's the second thing is like learn a language and you don't have to like try and be perfect at it. It's just practice and you get to embarrass yourself. You experiment. And that's essentially what marketing is. You have to be comfortable embarrassing yourself. You have to be comfortable failing. You have to be comfortable doing mini tests and experiment to succeed and get that big home run swing of a marketing launch one day. Um, or, you know, just a, a great marketing strategy that just executes well. And then third is, um, honestly, I mean, I, I had a fourth, like an actual resource people can read. But third is, go to where your audience, your customers are, right? If they're like for in Web3, your customers are likely going to be on Web3. If your customer base is outside the realms of Web3, go to those places, right? So at DMU, um, sessions, the, found, like, the founder session is very well experienced in the industry. 
So he's always in Twitter spaces with Web3 musicians and artists. He's always in Twitter spaces with Web3 developers. These are all the people that we need to be focusing on and we need to understand what are they struggling with? How can we make it? How do we message our product and services in a way that they're going to be aligned with it? That isn't sleazy, but it's actually like addressing this, uh, a major pain point for them. But also like, you know, we're planning on going to, for example, concerts and and things that you would do for music related things, because you have to understand from every perspective, how do we bring this online, right? How do we make this an experience that's new, but something that people have already experienced in the real world in some way? Um, the last one is, uh, I just recommend reading Amanda Cassette's book, Web3 Marketing. She was the first, uh, the CMO of Consensus. She became CMO at 25. So that's like the age I am right now. And she had a very untraditional way of entering the marketing field as well. She started her own company, or she worked at Huffington Post, I believe. And they had a very different way of doing journalism at that time, or Slack, Slate. Maybe here, that's her company. She has a company called Slate after that or something. And it took like a very interesting approach. But she wrote, I mean, she was the first CMO of Consensus, considered like the first Ethereum marketer, quote unquote. But she talks about her whole story, talks about how she started a team, talks about some of the concepts I'm talking about. A lot of it's like we're all learning in this space. But if anybody could write a book about it and it's like, okay, this is like a blueprint, it would probably be her because she brought Ethereum to mainstream for developers. So those are like the four things I would recommend. Oh, wow. The, I, I love everything that you just said. Uh, first of all, arigato gozaimasu. <laughs> and then, <laughs> uh, I just want to highlight, you know, that uh, we have talked so much about community, community building and, you know, the aspects of community. And I think the, the things that you have said pretty much point in that direction, you know, travel and get exposed yourself to people, know how communities are built. And this is not only applying to your target market, but everyone else, you know, because what you said, sometimes we need to say things in a way that not only our community understands, but we need to broaden the language that we use, the way we communicate such that everyone actually can understand it. And that, of course, enhances the scope of whatever project we're in. Second thing, learn, learn a language. There's nothing more um, kind of like mind expanding than, than learning another language. You know, it tells you how to say things. Sometimes when you don't know how to say something, you have to go around, right? So you figure out multiple different ways of actually communicating the same idea. Uh, and with those two, you actually build empathy. You know, you actually build empathy with whoever you're interacting, not only in life, but in potentially your target market as well. So then after having like that kind of like human base, you said, go where your customers are. Right. So you go to your customers, but with this perspective, you know, of being empathetic, you know, knowing that, you know, maybe you don't know everything and that you have to say things in different ways that you need to kind of like get also exposed to their wants, their needs, their likes and so on. And then right after that, you say, go and read Web3 marketing book, uh, this, this Web3 marketing book. So I think this is this is actually an excellent way of kind of like, you know, uh, uh, developing skills for community building and then adding a technical layer of web3 so yeah maybe, yeah this has been fantastic yeah yeah this was great i i rarely get to actually talk about web3 marketing and then more so in the weeds doing it so this has been really great um to be part of this yeah, so th thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm pretty excited to 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 launch this podcast. You know, our listeners are gonna, uh, uh, you know, very much enjoy this. And please, everyone, uh, check again the bio 
all the contacts are there. I'm going to also post the link to the book. And if you have any questions or would like to interact further with Vivek, he's doing some very exciting Twitter spaces and his Twitter account is quite active in kind of like communicating what this all is about. So please go and check that. And Vivek, thanks again one more time for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was great being here and really enjoyed just talking about this. It's my first ever podcast to be invited on. So. Nice. <laughs>